Amen. Hopefully everybody survived the ice storm, snowstorm, blizzard of 2021. I myself am the stubborn, stupid guy that tried to get out Tuesday, got my truck stuck, not just on the road, had to back it into my neighbor's yard and put ruts on their yard. Then getting out of the truck, I slipped and fell on the road. So somebody's ring doorbell, probably some great footage of me looking like a moron type things. Hopefully you're safe and secure. If you have your Bibles, you can turn to 1 John chapter 4 as you're turning there. Just a couple of quick things real quick. One, if you've not subscribed to our YouTube channel yet, I encourage you to do so. Even if you're online, subscribe to that YouTube channel. Uh, because why? Because we're live every Sunday there, but also it helps other people find this. Uh, just like sharing on Facebook and commenting, all that stuff helps other people that may not be in this room find what God is doing here. But two, even this week we released a couple of worship songs from last Sunday out on YouTube and on Spotify. So if you want to check that out, it's always there on YouTube. We are in the middle of this 10 Qualities series. This is actually my first Sunday to actually preach in this series. The first Sunday, Pastor Dylan did an amazing job preaching on disciples are passionately committed to following Jesus. They're passionate. They're committed. The second week, we had Dr. Stanley talk about disciples have extraordinary love for other people. Not just for God, but for other People then, then last the week before last, Pastor Anthony preached on disciples have a servant's heart. I mean, they want to serve. They want to serve the body. They want to serve other people. And today we're going to hit on what being sensitive to the Holy Spirit actually means. And so I don't know about you, but if you just look at culture, you look at our world, you look at social media, like everyone's sensitive. In some ways, they're too sensitive. Like they're triggered by everything. I was getting my haircut a couple weeks ago at the barbershop. And I'm waiting to get my spot in line, and this young guy walks in the barber shop, and he, he starts kind of talking, kind of trash to my barber a little bit. My barber's like my home, he's my buddy. Like, he takes care of my bald spot, he covers it up, I got to take care of it. And he starts kind of mouthing off, and he's like, well, hold on, hold on. And he kind of goes there and whispers. And he's like, bro, like, you really think I'm looking at the caller ID, and I got your number memorized, and I'm just being harsh to you? This young 20-something-year-old kid was so sensitive, he thought when he called the barber shop, he was being a jerk just to him. He said, Bobby, when you call the barbershop, what, what, what do I say about harsh to you? And I said, you just say, new look. That's all he says, new look. This dude thought that them saying new look, he had a problem with him. Like in the whole world, everyone thinks somebody has a problem with so-and-so. One of our girls posted a stupid video on TikTok, which I think is of the devil or it's a communist attempt to take over America, so you shouldn't be on TikTok. But she's on TikTok, she posts this stupid video. And all of a sudden, started getting messages from friends who thought the video was about them. No, you're just so sensitive. You think every little thing that moves is about you. You look at social media, you look at the news, everything's making people more and more sensitive. The word sensitive means this, highly responsive or susceptible, such as being easily hurt or damaged easily hurt emotionally, or delicately aware of the attitudes and feelings of others. It means you're, you're super hypersensitive, which now is a syndrome to be hypersensitive. But another definition is this, quick to detect or respond to slight changes, signals, or influences. I want to read that again. Sensitive also means quick to detect or respond to slight changes, signals, or influences. And so the world is obviously becoming more and more sensitive to everything. Quicker to respond, quicker to be influenced by. And I don't think it's a matter, I don't think it's actually a bad thing. I actually think being sensitive is a good thing. Obviously we're talking about being sensitive to the Holy Spirit. And so I don't think being 
too sensitive is the problem. What I think is the problem is most of the world, including the church, is too sensitive to the wrong spirit. If we were delicate, if we were easily, quickly responding to slight signals and influences of the Holy Spirit, the church would be much healthier. The world would be much healthier. But we're so quick in, in, in changing the slight changes or signals from other spirits, it's kept us away from the Holy Spirit. If you would, stand to your feet as we read 1 John chapter 4, verses 1 through 6 together. It says this, Beloved, and every time in my Bible I see, John uses this term a lot. I, I change it to be loved. So when you say beloved, meaning be loved. John's saying be loved by God. Acknowledge you are loved by him. Do not believe every spirit, but test the spirits to see whether they are from God. For many false prophets have gone out into the world. Everybody say false prophets. And there's many spirits. So for those of you that come from a, a non-spirit-filled background, the church doesn't just talk about the Holy Spirit. The world talks about lots of spirits. When you look at culture, there's tons of spirits that are being talked about. Uh, New Age, you have the occult, you have Hinduism where there's thousands of spirits. You talk about horror movies, the whole world recognizes the spiritual realm. In the spirit-filled churches, we just say, we recognize those spirits, but we also recognize there's the spirit of the Most High God. By this you will know the Spirit of God. Every spirit that confesses that Jesus Christ has come in the flesh is from God. And every spirit that does not confess Jesus is not from God. This is the spirit of the Antichrist. Everybody say Antichrist. Which you heard was coming and now is in the world already. Little children, you are from God and have overcome them. For he who is in you is greater than he who is in the world. They are from the world, therefore they speak from the world, and the world listens to them. Meaning, if you speak the same language as the world, the world will listen to you. If you speak the same language as the Antichrist, you'll have influence in the world. If you speak the same language of culture, you'll have influence in culture. But he says, that's because like minds seem to go together. They are from the world, therefore they speak from the world, and the world listens to them. But we are from God. Whoever knows God listens to us. Whoever is not from God does not listen to us. By this we know the spirit of truth and the spirit of error. Father, we thank you that you did not leave us alone. You, you left. Jesus paved the way and cleansed us with his blood from the inside out to make us temples of the Most High God to be dwelling places of the Holy Spirit, to live and reside within us. Father, and right now we acknowledge there's multiple spirits in this world seeking to, to draw us, seeking to make us sensitive to their influences. But Father, we ask that you create in us a sensitivity to your spirit, to the spirit of love, to the spirit of comfort, to the spirit of conviction, to the spirit of life, to the spirit of hope, to the spirit of joy, to the same spirit that resurrected Christ from the dead. Yeah. So Father, these next few moments, I pray that you soften hardened hearts. I pray that you awaken those to the heavenly realm to realize there's a Holy Spirit looking to woo them and draw them and use them to advance your kingdom here on earth. And we thank you, Father, and it's all for your glory. In Jesus' name, all God's people said, amen. You may be seated. First John is an interesting book. It's actually written in probably 90 A.D., so Jesus had been dead for six years. John is an older man. He's been able to process his entire life. He's already written the gospel of John, and now he's writing another letter. This letter is probably to the church at Ephesus, which is the Ephesians. 
So when you read the book of Ephesians, the book of Ephesians is all about spiritual warfare. It's all about the gospel and spiritual warfare against the gospel. It's where you get the armor of God. And so this is kind of the context John is writing this letter to, the spiritual warfare context. And as he's writing it, this church in Ephesus is a very influential church. And it's kind of like the main battleground between the world and what God is trying to do with his kingdom. And so John writes this message or this letter to these people. And here's some of the themes that are in there. In verses, uh, chapter 1, verses 5 through 2, uh, it says this, he claims to know, those who claim to know God are tested by their attitudes towards sin. I Meaning your attitude towards sin actually proves or disproves if you've been saved or not. The next few verses are, he claims to know God are tested by obedience. And there's also encouragement for believers of different levels of maturity. I Meaning there's different levels of maturity in the kingdom, meaning there's always a step for you to take in greater maturity. There's also warning against loving the world because this church in Ephesus had one foot in the world and one foot in the kingdom. There's also warnings against being deceived by false prophets or false theology. Then there's a distinguishing of children of God from children of darkness or children of the world. Then you also have the gospel demands to love one another and confidence in prayer. Then you have this little section where it's testing of spirits. Then it talks about being tested by your love. So John is really trying to nail down these things to separate between things of the world and things of the kingdom. And he said, these things prove you're part of the kingdom of light. These things prove you're part of the kingdom of darkness. And he says that if you get confused, there's some tests you can run to kind of see to test which spirits you're being influenced by. He says there's a spirit of error and a spirit of truth. Well, how do you know which spirit is influencing you or not? He says you have to learn to test those spirits. And so Jonathan Edwards, one of my favorite preachers, he's from the 1700s, great books written by Jonathan Edwards. He's still dealing with this same thing, and he gave five tests to kind of determine which spirit is influencing this move of God or maybe your own life or what God is showing you. Number one is the Bible test. Does it align with the truth of the entirety of God's word? Does it cause people in a greater respect to hunger the holy scriptures and establish them more in the truth of the word? Meaning if it's the Holy Spirit, if it's the spirit of truth, it should make people hunger God's word even more. Make them want a desire to study, to read, to memorize, to listen to God's word even more. If it's the spirit of error, it could say, well, I know that's God's word, but... You know, I can hear God for myself. I don't really need God. That's a spirit of error. The second test is the Jesus test. Does it elevate the fullness of Jesus? His life, his ministry, his sacrifice, his resurrection, his ascension, and his kingdom. Now, does it elevate what he's done for you and who he is? Or does it diminish him to be a great teacher you know, he's, he's a great rabbi. You know, he, he was a great lover of, of people and culture. Or does it elevate him to his fullness? The third one is the spirit test. Does it operate against the spirit in the kingdom of darkness and promote a holy kingdom? Does it promote sin and the things that the enemy would want? Or does it promote the things that God would want to see happen on earth? Four is the character test. What is the fruit of this spirit? Is it the fruit of the Spirit that's love, joy, peace, kindness, long-suffering, all these things? Or is the fruit of it more sinfulness and more unholiness? Anywhere the Holy Spirit moves, there should be holiness that follows. Then number five is the love test. Does it stir people to a deeper love of God and people? 
Those five things will help you determine which spirit is influencing you. Because what he's really saying is the Antichrist is not just an end times phenomenon. How many of you have ever read the Left Behind series? Raise your hand. How many of you ever watched the, the Thief in the Night movie from the 1980s, which is like a horror movie? There's all these rapture movies, and anybody who studies Revelations, they talk about the Antichrist, the Antichrist, the Antichrist. The Antichrist is an end times figure, but he's also a current influence, and Antichrist is an influencer of culture and the world, and has been. John is writing this letter in 90 AD, and he's saying the Antichrist is already there amongst you. Jonathan Edwards is talking about this in the 1700s. So the Antichrist is not something we need to look forward to 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 fight at the end of times. The Antichrist is influencing the church and the people right now. And the problem is many people are more sensitive to the influence of the Antichrist than they are the Christ. Many people are more sensitive to the Antichrist. Here's some things I just wrote down about the Antichrist. The Antichrist spirit is the opposite of Christ. That's what anti means. It's the opposite of. If Christ seeks to forgive, the Antichrist seeks to offend. Think about it. If Christ seeks, even on the cross, said, Father, forgive them. They know not what they do. We live in a culture where everybody wants to hold on to offense and cancel them as soon as they disagree. That means we're being influenced by a spirit of antichrist when we start walking in cancel culture and offense and the like. If Christ seeks to unite, the antichrist seeks to divide. If Christ seeks to provide hope, the antichrist seeks to produce fear. If Christ seeks to honor the Father and his desires, the Antichrist seeks to honor man and our desires. If Christ seeks to point us towards eternity, the Antichrist seeks to point us towards the here and now and instant immediate gratification. If Christ is the solid rock in which we stand, the Antichrist is the shifting sands of culture. They will never coincide. Yet the church and America as a whole, we're more offended than ever, we're more divided than ever, we're more temporary than ever, we're more volatile than ever, meaning the spirit that we're following is not the spirit of Christ, it is the spirit of Antichrist. If you're tempted to be offended, that's not Jesus. If you're tempted to divide, that's not Jesus. If you're tempted to look for immediate gratification, that's not Jesus. The spirit of Antichrist is alive and well. And the reason we hear about him all through Revelation is because the closer we get to Jesus returning, the more influence the Antichrist gets. And so all these antichrist spirits start getting excited because they think they're about to win and they start thinking they're getting more and more influence in the world. And we start seeing that now in pop culture, in media, in social media, even in some of the churches, that this antichrist spirit starts flourishing. And right when it starts flourishing, someone completely consumed by this antichrist spirit steps up and says, I'll be the leader of this new religion. This anti-Christ religion. They don't say it like that. But this religion, because this religion of Christianity, it's, it's hateful. It's divisive. It, it's, it's, it's not even real. It's old teachings from an old book. This new religion is one of love, one of peace, one of hope, one of you can live your life however you want to, and you'll always have whatever you need. 
That's the spirit. So the spirit of Antichrist rises up, then Antichrist becomes a figure, then Jesus says, okay, you think you got it. Watch this. Jesus comes back on the scene and shows us the difference, contrast between the anti and the real. The anti is temporary peace. The real is eternal peace. The anti is temporary joy. The real is real joy. And so these spirits are in collision with one another. But it's not the anti-Jesus. It's the anti-Christ spirit. So you actually hear the anti-Christ spirit. They'll preach Jesus. They'll talk about Jesus. They'll listen to things about Jesus. They don't have a problem with it. We saw this. You see this in election years tremendously because you'll have two separate types of Christianity you'll have one that we worship Jesus we believe he is the savior of everyone who pleads the blood of Jesus repents of their sin and trusts in him for an eternal salvation then you have a cultural Christianity that dismisses the power of Jesus dismisses the divinity of Jesus, dismisses the, the, the salvation of Jesus, and starts making Jesus be a great teacher, a really good man, minus divinity. Judaism does this. Great teacher, great rabbi, but not the Messiah. See, Christ means Messiah, so they're not anti-Jesus. The Spirit is anti-Messiah or anti-Son of God. Islam does this. They, they recognize Jesus. If you ever read the Quran, they actually have prayers to Jesus in the Quran. Prayers of healing, prayers of prosperity are in the Quran. The Quran actually says Jesus is born of a virgin, but he's not the son of God. Meaning, we recognize Jesus, we don't recognize the Christ that Jesus is. And see, the Antichrist spirit will begin talking about Jesus. They just remove from him any of the divine attributes that are his. And I'm here to tell you, Jesus is not a man. Jesus is not just a teacher. Jesus is not just a rabbi. Jesus is the Son of God. There is no other hope yet in Jesus. There's only one way to salvation, and that way there's many doors. There's many, many ways to get to that spot. It could be suffering. It could be blessings. It could be being raised in America. There's many journeys to get to that door, but the door is Jesus. And to enter into the kingdom, it's not a teacher you need. It's not a rabbi that you need. It's not a healer that you need. You need the perfect lamb of God in order to walk through the door. And he is, Antichrist dismisses that and says, but his teachings are good. He's a great teacher on love. He's a great teacher on culture. He's a great teacher on this. You don't need a teacher to get your way into heaven. You need a sacrifice, and he is that sacrifice. And I think one of the problems that's happening in our attempts to not offend the Antichrist spirit, because the Antichrist spirit is fine if you're speaking the same language, but as soon as you disagree with the Antichrist spirit, it tries to cancel you, and then it hurts. There's a price to pay. And what happens is now we have a whole generation that in order not to offend the Antichrist spirit, because they're afraid to be isolated, afraid to be canceled, afraid to be dismissed. In order not to offend the Antichrist spirit, we actually grieve the Holy Spirit. In order not to offend the Antichrist spirit, we actually grieve the Holy Spirit. Max Licato, if you've ever read any of his books, is one of the greatest Christian authors of our generation. The way he can paint pictures with words, we've, we've used his books at Christmas He's an incredible author of 100 books. 
amazing man of God, amazing author, had a great opportunity to preach at the National Cathedral last week. To put it in kind of context, the National Cathedral is not an evangelical church. It's a long-standing kind of liberal church. So he went to preach there. Well, a couple years ago, the National Cathedral basically endorsed homosexuality, homosexual marriage, homosexual everything, everything liberal, saying, you can live however you want to. God is an inclusive God. You can do whatever you want to. He loves you. He'll forgive you. Max Licato goes and preaches there. Great opportunity for him to preach. People go back and find a message he preached in 2004. 17-year-old message where he basically preached that the Bible teaches marriage is between one man and one woman. And whenever you get outside of that, it causes damage to the family, to children, to the culture, to et cetera. I did it in a very grace-filled way. Nothing, nothing out of bounds, nothing derogatory. He just apologized for preaching a biblical message in 2004 because the Antichrist spirit raised up against him in order not to offend the Antichrist spirit. He actually grieved the Holy Spirit. And we need to learn that we're going to be sensitive to one spirit or the other, and we need to become more sensitive and submitted to the Holy Spirit in this next phase and next generation than we are to the spirit of the world. So we need to, point number one is this, we need to, true, to truly follow Jesus, we need to become more sensitive and submitted to the presence of the Holy Spirit and his voice. The Antichrist has a voice. The Antichrist spirit has a voice. So does the Holy Spirit. The best advice I've ever been given, ever to this day. There's a few runner-ups. When I was moved to the new neighborhood, I, was, I think I was 13, 14 years old, moved to this kind of rough neighborhood. There's a guy who was in GD folk. If you don't know what that is, it's a gang, rough gang. He was like 17. Everybody thought he was cool. I just moved in. All the girls, like, there's a new guy in the neighborhood. He told me, he said, never date or mess with a girl in the neighborhood. I'm like, yeah, but they're everywhere. He says, if something bad happens, you can't get away. I remember that for my entire life. The second best advice ever been given is Dr. R.T. Kendall told me. I said, what advice would you have for a young, young pastor? I used to be young. Now I'm getting old, bald, and fat. I said, what advice would you have for a young pastor? He said, let me tell you a story. He's talking about another pastor. He went to preach at his church. And right before he goes up to the platform to preach, this, this pastor said, hey, what kind of advice do you have for a young whippersnapper like me? Dr. Kendall looked at him and says, Find out what grieves the Holy Spirit and stop doing that. He said a few months later, that pastor had asked for that advice, actually had a moral failure. He said what he, did, he didn't want the advice. He wanted a get-rich-quick scheme for ministry. And since that day, I thought, God, what do I do that grieves you? Help me to know. Convict me of it, God. Because once you're in this ungrieved place or presence or posture of the Holy Spirit. You constantly have the presence of God with you, the power of God with you, the favor of God with you. Everything you need is in the presence of God. And so as long as I'm not grieving the Holy Spirit, I have access to every single thing I need because the Holy Spirit is not a it. The Holy Spirit is not some power or influence. The Holy Spirit is a person with a personality. And just like your wife may be sensitive to something you may say, the Holy Spirit is more sensitive than your wife. Or just like the person at the barbershop is sensitive, the Holy Spirit is even more sensitive. He's a person. He has a personality. He has things he likes, things he doesn't like. 
some of the things he has. He has an intellect. The Holy Spirit has the mind of Christ. He has a mind. He also has a will, things he wants to accomplish here on earth. He acts in personal ways. He prays. He's actually a prayer warrior. In Romans 8, it says he will pray for you. The Holy Spirit is a prayer warrior for you. He leads. He led Jesus. He's a teacher. He speaks. He comforts us. He fellowships with us, meaning he hangs out with us. He has feelings and emotions. He loves. He can be grieved. He is sensitive. Everybody say sensitive. He's sensitive. He's sensitive. That's the word grieving comes from. Ephesians 4 says this. Therefore, having put away falsehood, let each one of you speak the truth with his neighbor, for we are members of one another. Be angry and do not sin. Do not let the sun go down on your anger and give no opportunity to the devil or the antichrist. Let the thief no longer steal, but rather let him labor doing honest work with his own hands so that he may have something to share with anyone in need. Let no corrupting talk come out of your mouths, but only such as good for building up as it fits the occasion that it may give grace to those who hear. Verse 30, and do not grieve the Holy Spirit of God. Why? By whom you were sealed for the day of redemption. Let all bitterness and wrath and anger and clamor and slander put away, be put away from you along with malice. And be kind to one another, tenderhearted, forgiving one another as God in Christ forgave you. Literally everything he's saying, he said, all this stuff is antichrist stuff. Don't, don't be influenced by this slander and bitterness and, and falsehoods and anger and all. Don't be influenced by, don't grieve the Holy Spirit by being influenced by the antichrist spirit. He's literally laying out saying, being grieved means he's sensitive. He has emotions, his desires. Dr. Kendall, who, who has one of the best books ever read. If you don't read, this book is worth your time. Sensitivity of the Spirit by Dr. R.T. Kendall, one of my top five favorite books of all time. He talks about pigeons and doves. He lived in London at the time. So if you ever go to a downtown place, you'll see pigeons everywhere. They're all around your feet. I, I'm, to be honest, I, I'm only scared of snakes, but birds freak me out just a little bit. And the pigeons are all over the place, and they're everywhere. And the city is noisy. The pigeons are around trash cans and all this other stuff. But doves, you'll never see doves in a crowded, busy area like that. Pigeons have multiple mates throughout a lifetime. Doves have one. And you start looking at all these parallels, and the Holy Spirit always identifies the, or the Bible always identifies the Holy Spirit as a dove. Doves are sensitive to noise. Doves are sensitive to influences. Doves are sensitive birds. Pigeons are not. The Antichrist is more of the pigeon. The Holy Spirit is more of the dove, and it's sensitive. So when Jesus was baptized, it said the Holy Spirit came and descended upon him like a dove. And it stayed on Jesus. Up to that point, the Holy Spirit would come upon people throughout the Old Testament. He'd come upon people, and he would stay for a moment to empower them to do creative stuff like build the, the Ark of the Covenant or build the, the temple or build the tabernacle. He'd come upon them in order for them to slay an army or something they needed power for. But he'd always come, and then he would leave. He would come for a moment or come for a season, then the Holy Spirit would ascend back into heaven. But then when Jesus gets baptized, the Holy Spirit descended upon him and stayed. Why did the Holy Spirit stay in Jesus or on Jesus instead of going back to heaven like he did throughout history? Well, the reason is because, one, Jesus stayed holy his entire life. He never sinned. 
which also means he never grieved the Holy Spirit. I can only imagine the New Old Testament, these great warriors of God receive the power of the Holy Spirit upon them, and at some point they would fall into pride, or they'd fall into sin, or they'd do something that would grieve the Holy Spirit, and the Holy Spirit would just flap away. Because here's what I've learned. The Holy Spirit has an environment he loves to dwell in. And once that environment is disrupted, he'll find another environment. And so Jesus provided the perfect, ungrieving environment for the Holy Spirit to dwell in. He gave the Holy Spirit a place in which he was comfortable. He wanted to be a part of, he wanted to, to be with Jesus because Jesus recognizes sensitivity. And Jesus' whole life and ministry was one being influenced and sensitive to the Holy Spirit. He only did what the Holy Spirit let him do. He was empowered by the Holy Spirit. And in the same way, you and I can be places, be temples in which the Holy Spirit says, I want to be there. A place where he's ungrieved. A place where we're sensitive. Because the environment you create and you live in makes a difference. The Holy Spirit doesn't want to dwell in a place that's full of bitterness and wrath and unforgiveness and anger and, and sin and selfishness. He wants to live in a place that's exalting Jesus. He wants to live in a place that's full of peace and unity and hope and love. He wants to dwell in a place that reflects the things he likes. So the question would be, if we're going to be sensitive and submitted to the Holy Spirit, is what environment are you giving him to live in? What environment are you creating, not just outwardly, but what environment are you giving him inwardly? Is it a place full of hidden sin or unacknowledged sin? Is it a place of anger or wrath or unforgiveness or bitterness? What about the environment in your car? Is it a place that's full of road rage? Full of anger. What about your home? Is it a place full of division and bitterness, offense? What about our church? Is it a place full of unity or is it all self-centered? See, the environment makes the difference. The Holy Spirit moves on environments that are designed to welcome him. But if he's not welcome, then he'll move on to another environment. And what makes that environment important? Is because I believe we all in this room would love to hear God speak that comforting and guiding voice. God, I need, I need you to tell me which direction to go. I need you to tell me what I'm supposed to do. God, I need to be comforted right now. I'm hurting. I'm broken. I'm going through something. I need, I need that comforting voice. We all want to hear that comforting voice. Well, if I want to hear that voice, I need to create an environment where the Holy Spirit wants to be close to me so I can hear his voice more clearly. But two, if I want to hear the comforting and guiding voice of the Holy Spirit, I have to be sensitive to the convicting voice of the Holy Spirit. See, the two are tied together. Because God is a God who speaks, and he speaks through his Holy Spirit. And, and, and depending on where you come from, your background, that God is a God who speaks. God is a living God. Do we all agree that he's a living God? He's a living God. Every living person and thing I know speaks. God is a living God, and his Holy Spirit is his voice here on earth. I can prove it to you. Every single person on earth, God tries to speak to. Not just believers, unbelievers. Well, how could you say that? You can't get saved unless there's a wooing of the Holy Spirit, where he convicts you of your sin. He points something out, then points you to Jesus. That's the voice of the Holy Spirit trying to draw you into Jesus. 
Then he speaks to believers to encourage and comfort and even convict and try to draw us closer to Jesus. He's even speaking, me and Toy were on a Zoom call with an underground pastor in Iran where the Holy Spirit is speaking in crazy ways to people that don't have a Bible, they don't have TBN, they don't have CTN, they don't have any access. And so God says, if I don't have the Bible, if I don't have a preacher, I'll go speak myself. He's literally showing up in visions and dreams and sometimes incarnate. Why? He's a living God who wants to speak to his people. In all of April, we're going to unpack, because we have prophetic presbytery coming up in May, we're going to unpack the voice of God even deeper. But you need to know this, that the Holy Spirit has two major voices. Two major voices. It's a voice to comfort and a voice to convict. And John chapter 16 says this. He says, nevertheless, I will tell you the truth. It is to your advantage that I go away. For if I do not go away, the helper will not come to you. But if I go, I will send him to you. Talking about the Holy Spirit. And when he comes, he will convict the world concerning sin and righteousness and judgment. Concerning sin because they do not believe in me. Concerning righteousness because I go to the Father and you will see me no longer. Concerning judgment because the ruler of this world is judged. I still have many things to say to you, but you cannot bear them now. But when the spirit of truth comes, remember 1 John, spirit of truth, spirit of error. When the spirit of truth comes, he will guide you into all the truth. For he will not speak on his own authority, but whatever he hears, he will speak, and he will declare to you the things that are to come. He will glorify me, for he will take what is mine and declare it to you. All that the Father has is mine. Therefore, I said that he will take what is mine and declare it to you. Two main voices of the Holy Spirit is a convicting voice and a comforting voice. Convicting voice, those who are non-believers, he, he reaches, he tries to convict them of sin to draw them closer to Jesus. Like, he'll literally point out your brokenness. But as he points out your brokenness, he points to Jesus as a solution to your brokenness. He also convicts the church of righteousness. So this word convict doesn't mean condemns, it means to point out or to show you something. So he'll convict us of righteousness, meaning he'll show us what is standing in between us and him to have a closer relationship. He'll convict us of righteousness to show us what it is that is grieving him in our lives. Mike Bickle says it the most amazing way. He says every judgment of God is not a judgment against man. It's a judgment against what stands between man and God. Listen to that again. If you've ever tried to deal with the judgment of God, the judgment of God is not just against man. It's about anything that stands in between where man is and where God is. Anything that stands between us, God judges. So when he convicts us of righteousness, he's literally judging those things that are standing in between us and him in a greater relationship. The only way I can explain it is if years ago I had this beat up Ford Taurus, the door was beat in, the air conditioner didn't work, but it ran. We had four kids under the age of five. I needed to pay for diapers. I couldn't get a car. I literally show up to funerals in his suit. I'm sweating to death, need to shower. There's no AC. And this guy at church bought a brand new at the time Chevy Avalanche on 22-inch rims. Like, that's what I wanted. Like, but I was content with my car until he parked his car right next to mine. Now, one, what kind of jerk would do that to you? But two, once he parked his car next to my car, it exposed the flaws in my car. 
His was clean. His had no scratches, no dents. His was polished. So there was a higher quality version that showed me what mine could be like in its perfect state. In the same way, when God convicts you of sin, he doesn't show you how bad you are. He shows you how good Jesus is. And he shows you you're not lining up with your potential that's in him. That's the convicting voice. The comforting voice is where God just reminds you he's with you. He's for you. He loves you. He wants to encourage you that this is not the end. It's not the end unless you're dead. This is not the end. The Holy Spirit wants to move into every single situation and comfort us. But what happens is we've grown so accustomed to not wanting judgment, not wanting conviction, that we've learned to tune out the convicting voice of the Holy Spirit. We say things like, well, only God can judge me. That's the point. And I'm trying to help you, I'm trying to help myself see there's something in my life that's preventing the full flow of the Holy Spirit in my life. And so we've begun to tune out the convicting voice of the Holy Spirit. And when we do that, we actually tune out the comforting voice of the Holy Spirit. See, it's one voice. It's just two different topics. And so if you're at the house... And your wife is trying to talk to you, but like with RJ. RJ, our thing is last week we had basketball practice. I'm helping coach. He's been putting in tons of work, shooting hours upon hours every single day. Like he's finally putting in the work. He says, I want to be great at basketball. I said, if you want to be great, you've got to be teachable. So our practice, he's being lazy. And so I'm just keeping the score and I'm making comments. You know, I'm messing with him pretty hard. After he's like, why do you got to be snarky to me? I was like, who are you? What, even, what does that even mean, snarky? Like, he's like, well, you don't have to yell, and you don't have to do this. Like, Coach Kevin's not doing that with these other kids. I said, listen, you told me you wanted to be great. So do you want me to just comfort you in your mediocrity? Do you want me to just say, hey, you missed every single shot you took. You're the greatest basketball player I've ever met. <laughs> You're walking down the court. You're the best hustler on the team. Do you want me to just comfort you in the, that junk? Or do you mean to help you see that junk and raise to another level? I see the comforting voice will comfort you when you're going through something, but the corrective voice will get you to a higher plane or a higher level. And RJ said, well, you don't have to be snarky about it. I was like, what? I I was like, what are you? You you a man now? You're 14, you have two muscles, and those muscles are on your jaw. (laughs) I said, what do you want me to do? He says, well, you could just be like nice about it. I said, bro, look, I'm going to tell you something. I use the word bro to transition to, I'm going to try to talk with you, but this is about to be really serious. Don't talk back. Bro, there's a pattern with you that you don't listen the first time we ask you to take the trash out. You don't listen the second time we ask you to do something. You don't don't get up the first time we wake you up in the morning. You don't get up the second time we try to get you up in the morning. You only respond when we yell or we say something snarky. Therefore, if you tune out the snarky voice, you're going to tune out the comforting voice. So when I correct you, if you tune that out, you're not going to hear me say, son, I love you, and I'm proud of you. Son, I want you. Son, you're the greatest gift God has given me. If you tune out the corrective voice of the Holy Spirit, you're going to miss the comforting voice. And the same thing with other people. Like, I would agree that most of us lean towards one, some of us are very comforting people, 
And maybe we tend to comfort people in the middle of their junk or in the middle of their sin and make them feel better about their sin. Some of us are more the convicting people. What happens is the Holy Spirit has both voices. And so with every single person, like an altar ministry in life, whatever's going on, the Holy Spirit's either doing one of the two. For some people, he's convicting them of their sin so he can draw them closer to Jesus. For other people, he's comforting them in the middle of their brokenness to remind them that he's with them and he's not against them. But what happens, though, if somebody comes to me, whether at the altar, whether in life, whether at work, whether at school, whatever it may be, and they're dealing with something, and the Holy Spirit's trying to convict them of something in their life, but I try to operate in comfort, I will disrupt what the Holy Spirit is doing in their life. And what the Holy Spirit is using to draw them closer, you're actually using to push them away. In the same way, what if God is trying to comfort them in the middle of this brokenness, and you have the convicting voice, you start trying to convict them and explain to them why they're going through it, you actually disrupt the Holy Spirit trying to draw them closer to Christ. And so we have to be sensitive to both voices in order to be who God has called us to be. And so if I want to hear the voice, I want to be more sensitive to the voice of the Spirit, here's what we need to do. It's simple. Dr. Russ Fraser just passed away, one of our overseers. He did a staff meeting for us in October. He said, put yourself in the way of the Holy Spirit. Put yourself in the way of the Holy Spirit. Meaning every single person that's ministered to by Jesus, they put themselves in his way. They found out, where is he going? I'm going to get in his way. Same thing with the Holy Spirit. What environments does the Holy Spirit like to be in? Where does the Holy Spirit like to talk? So one, I would say, in the Bible, he, he loves to be a part of his written word. When you're reading your word, he will speak to you. In prayer, he loves prayer. Also, in worship, he loves to be in places of worship. He loves unity. He loves to be in places where forgiveness dwells and unity reigns. He also likes to be in community amongst the believers. And so if I want to hear God's voice, I'm going to find out where's the Holy Spirit at. I'm going to go there. And I'm going to listen to whatever he has to say. But it's not just enough to listen to the Holy Spirit's voice. It's not just enough to be sensitive to his voice. You have to learn to obey his voice. There's lots of people that can hear. There's very few that can obey. And so we, if we're going to be sensitive and submitted to the Holy Spirit, we need to close the gap between hearing God's voice and obeying God's voice. That's actually spiritual maturity. It's closing the time it takes between God speaking something, whether comforting or convicting, and obeying it. We have to close that gap because that is where maturity reigns. And John chapter 14 says this, If you love me, you will keep my commandments. And I will ask the Father, and he will give you another helper to be with you forever. Even the spirit of truth, whom the world cannot receive because it neither sees him nor knows him. You know him for he dwells with you and will be in you. This whole chapter is about the Holy Spirit. He actually says, if you love me, you obey my commandments and then I will give you the Holy Spirit. He's actually saying the contingency upon receiving the Holy Spirit is obedience. In this one chapter, obedience is mentioned four times and the whole purpose of the chapter is to teach about the Holy Spirit. So there's a connection between obedience and the Holy Spirit. Leonard Ravenhill said maturity comes from obedience, not age. Meaning you can be 14 and be more mature than somebody who's 75 or 80. It's not about age. It's not about how much Bible you know. It's about obedience. 
And obedience is not delayed obedience. It's not lip service. It's life obedience. It's allegiance. It's surrender. And obedience is rooted, is rooted in receiving the love, mercy, and grace of Jesus. Obedience is rooted in receiving grace. It's impossible to truly receive grace and still be disobedient. It's impossible. Because when you truly recognize the grace of Jesus on your life and your soul, the only proper response is to give God your life back. See, legalism is saying uh, that love and mercy are a fruit of obedience. But the gospel says obedience is the fruit of love, mercy, and grace. And so if you've truly received love, obedience, and grace, then obedience should be the, the, the stem that flows from that. Augustine said this in the 480s, wicked men obey from fear, good men from love. Henry Blackaby says, if you know that God loves you, you should never question a directive or commandment from him. It will always be right and best. When he gives you a directive, you're not just to observe it, discuss it, or debate it. You are to obey it. And I think one of the reasons the Antichrist spirit is flourishing in culture right now is because we become disobedient to the voice of God. So we've grieved him, and now it's harder to hear the voice of the Holy Spirit, and the loudest voice usually gets our ear. And if you look at the world, the Antichrist is speaking through Facebook, through Twitter, through TikTok, through Fox News, CNN, MSNBC. Every which way you look, it's just Antichrist. Division, fear, unforgiveness, offense, all these things just keep flourishing. His voice is getting louder and louder and louder. And so the church, we've, we've kind of closed off our ear to the Holy Spirit and given our ear to Christ. I've even gotten off social media probably for good. Because I realize there's no fruit coming from this. It's distracting me from the things that are important in life, like my wife, my kids, my prayer life, my, my hearing God clearly. Instead of hearing God clearly, I've been hearing news clearly, and I don't want to hear the news. I want to hear God. And what's happened is, since we've been disobedient in responding to the voice of God, our hearts have gotten hard. Pastor Jason was talking about, at the pre-service meeting, he said this. He talked about Jesus going to his hometown, and the people could not receive due to their unbelief. I put a caveat and I said the reason people have unbelief is because they allow their hearts to get hard to the things of God. Kim Cloud, who's, who's preached here for years and years and years, said this to me years ago. He said the, the recipe or the process for a hard heart is to be overexposed and under-responsive to the voice and truth of God. To be overexposed and under-responsive. See, pastor's kids are the worst. They're in church all the time. They're always being exposed to the truth, the truth, the truth, the truth, the spirit, the spirit, the spirit, yet they're unresponsive, which produces a hard heart. I would take that another layer and say the American church has been so exposed to the truth, yet so under-responsive, the heart of the American church has become hard to the things of God. We've got Bibles on every table. We've got TV. We've got YouTube. We've got books. We've got curriculums. We've got Lifeway. We've got Thomas Nelson. We have all this truth, 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 truth. But we don't need more revelation. We need more application. And Zechariah says this in chapter 7, verse 11. But they refused to pay attention and turned a stubborn shoulder and stopped their ears that they might not hear. 
They made their hearts diamond hard, lest they should hear the law and the words of the Lord of hosts had sent them, sent them by his spirit through the former prophets. Therefore, great anger came from the Lord of the hosts, and he called them. He says, would they not hear? So as they called, I would not hear. God is saying, if you don't listen to me, why would I listen to you? And it all stems from being overexposed, but unresponsive. Overexposed to the presence of God, but not responding to the presence of God, creates a hard heart. Overexposed to the truth of the gospel, the truth of Jesus, but not responding properly or being obedient causes a hard heart. So the question would be this. This is kind of bringing us all to a crux. What do you do when God speaks? When you read the Bible and it says, do this or don't do that, what do you do? When I preach a message, or Pastor Anthony, or Pastor Dylan, or Dr. Stanley, they preach a message, and the word goes forth, the voice of God goes forth, how do you respond to what God speaks? What do you do? What's your process of saying, okay, God spoke, how do I do that? And what has God been speaking to you about? Is it forgiveness to somebody you don't want to forgive? Is it to actually commit your whole life to Jesus instead of just your Sunday morning? Is it to to be a disciple, not just a believer? Is it to to serve in God's house? What, what, What has God been speaking to you about, and then what are you going to do about it? Because the option isn't to hear or not hear. The option is to obey or disobey. And I'm going to tell you this. The blessings of God are not on hearing the word. The blessings of God are on obeying and doing the word. So what are you going to do when you hear the word of God given to you? And then number two, what are you willing to sacrifice to obey what God has spoken to you? Because every level of obedience to God requires a new level of sacrifice. I told you, Tony and I were on the Zoom call with this pastor in Iran, and he said, literally, that's the question every discipleship meeting they have. What does God speak to you? What are you willing to sacrifice? He said his wife there was the Iranian government and the police, they would literally rape the women to try to get them to convert back to Islam. He said, his wife said, 15 minutes of torture is worth an eternity with my Jesus. I can't even comprehend that. 15 minutes of torture is worth an eternity with Jesus, meaning I want to obey him to the fullness, but there's a sacrifice to pay and I'm willing to sacrifice it. That's why the Holy Spirit is moving in Iran and he's not moving in America. And God is not even asking us anything that, for us, maybe the sacrifice is for you not to post what you thought you were going to post. Maybe for you it's a sacrifice two hours a month serving Jesus instead of just 30 minutes a month. Whatever the sacrifice is, I promise you, I promise you there's a blessing attached to that obedience. In a book I just read, Thomas Kelly, old Catholic author, said this, if you need to obey, and everyone in this room has something to obey, if you need to obey, begin where you are. Wherever you are, say, today is the day I'm going to obey. Obey now, use what little obedience you are capable of, even if it be like a grain of a mustard seed. Meaning, whatever God is speaking, take one small step of obedience and watch God open up 
the windows of heaven. If you would, bow your heads and close your eyes just for a minute. The blessings of God are on obedience. There's so much going on in our world, like so much. Like it's so easy to see this antichrist spirit is being stirred up and getting stronger and stronger and stronger. Which means we have to be more and more sensitive to the Holy Spirit than ever before. It's going to be more difficult and more difficult to discern his voice from the voice of the world. That's where, that's where John gave us these five tests, the Bible test, the Jesus test, the spirit test, the character test, the love test. He gave us these tests so we could discern the difference so we'd make sure we're submitted and sensitive to the right one. But it's not enough to be sensitive. You've got to be submitted and obey whatever the Holy Spirit is speaking to you. It's today, all over the room. Every head is bowed, every eye is closed. I'm going to ask you two, a couple questions. One, right now, I believe everyone in this room, God has spoken something to you either recently or in the past that he wants you to obey. And today's the day you obey. Today is the day either you harden your heart or you say, yes, Lord, your servant is listening. And as you obey, I believe God is going to open up opportunities and blessings and power and more clear, distinct communication with you and his Holy Spirit. If you said, yeah, that's me. God has been speaking something to me and, and I want to just confess to God, I've heard you and today I want to surrender and say, I'm going to obey and I'm going to listen to whatever it is you're going to, that you said to me. If that's you, just slip your hand up right where you are. Thank you. I don't worry, anybody else. Put your hands down. Second question, maybe for you. Holy Spirit, Pastor Brian talked about it earlier. Maybe the Holy Spirit's been speaking to you to commit your life to Jesus. Maybe you had one foot in the world and one foot in the church. Maybe you had one foot in sin and one foot trying to do it. Maybe you've been going through the motions, but you say, you know what? I want to passionately commit myself to following Jesus. I want to obey him in this drawing. If that's you, every head is bowed, every eye is closed, not going to have you come forward. If that's you, just slip your hand up right quick, wherever you are. Thank you. Anybody else? Father, in Jesus' name, we thank you so much for the sweet presence of your Holy Spirit. And I pray right now for every single person's room, their hearts to become more sensitive to your voice, more sensitive to your presence. But Father, above all, we can be more surrendered and more submitted than ever before to what you speak, to obey, and to follow you wherever you take us. Father, we also ask for clear discernment to be able to spot out the spirit of Antichrist wherever it may be flourishing. But Father, above all, let your voice be the clearest and loudest voice in our life. Help us to grow in our discernment and our maturity to recognize what you're doing, not just in our lives, but around us in the world so we can stay committed and faithful to you and your kingdom. So it's all for your glory. We thank you in Jesus' name.